Hey, want to take a walk on the wild side and experience the bleeding edge of technology? Then get ready because it doesn't get much more edgy than this. You're in for a wild. Tired of boring specials about history, science, and technology? Then get on your best headphones because you might want to lay down for this. A Sovereign Tech special with the world's foremost anarchist technophile, Brian Sovereign. He has a huge, well, you know. And now, here's Brian. Mm. The Golden Stallion here for you, back after a little bit of a hiatus. But you know what? I decided to, in a way... Bring all of you with me. Bring all of the listeners of Sovereign Tech. The Sovereignati brought you along uh, because what I have here is a real treat. Okay, this is a special and I've got a real, real treat for you. Someone, you know, kind of randomly, actually a listener of this show uh, named Jesse. He recorded the cybersecurity panel that I was on at the Alt Expo, uh, along with uh, three other uh, fine gentlemen. And. It was really, I had a good time. I mean, it was, it was a talk that kind of went, it started off as, uh, as pretty practical. Now, now it was just, it was recorded on, on a, on a, you know, a, a little recording device. And I thought it did really, really well because I think for the most part, it stayed in, uh, in, in Jesse's uh, shirt pocket and it really recorded kind of everything that's going on. So, I mean, you're not getting, you know, this, this isn't, uh, <laughs> you know, you're not going to get iTunes quality audio here. Okay. But I think this is really, really good stuff. I thought some really good opinions were laid out. Uh, and it's just a really, really interesting listen. And so I was very, very glad, uh, that he recorded it. I, and, and he, he recorded with permission. He said, Hey, do you guys mind if you know, this gets recorded? And we said, yeah, please, by all means. Um, and, and I thought it turned out great. And so it's a conversation, uh, and I'll talk a little bit more after, uh, you know, after, after this runs through and I'll close out the show, but, um, but it, it's, you know, it went about an hour, uh, and it was a, a conversation that I thought was, was pretty good. It started off with, you know, like, okay, what are your security concerns, you know, and, and we'll try and address them. And and that's how it sort of started. And then it went into some degree of the hypothetical of, you know, what can you really do about, you know, privacy and, and, and all this business. Um, and I just, you know, I, it was great to hear all the different perspectives. I, I just, I, I really had a good time. Uh, and I, I talked through quite a bit of it. Uh, you know, got, got some good laughs out of everybody, I think at certain points. And so, you know, but, but again, there was three other guys there. There were four of us all together doing it. And, uh, and again, I just, you know, I thought it turned out really well. So very simple special for you to enjoy. Uh, and, uh, this is part of a, what I'm hoping is going to turn out to be a quadruple load, uh, of sovereign tech, but it might not, uh, because I have another special, where I actually, I talked to, uh, some guys at Invictus innovations or what they're wanting to call BitShares, And so I want to get that out to you. Cause really exciting stuff going on at BitShares. Uh, I mean, insanely exciting stuff. And that's something I've been watching and the show has accepted as a donation, uh, for months now, you know, and I, and I talked about it. I was one of the first podcasts to break the news about it really. Uh, so I was very excited to, to have that opportunity, but this, this is great stuff. You know, give it a listen. Uh, all kinds of things get talked about from, you know, encryption platforms all the way to uh, I think I even brought up the mosquito drone that can't be unproven that it exists. Oh, my. Uh, so g- give it a listen uh, again. You know, the, the, the quality I did, you know, did my work with uh, with audacity, as usual, uh, you know, to, to bring it up uh, as good as possible. So, you know, just a nice little bonus for you. And uh, actually, I didn't expect to even be able to share any audio with you. So, again, total thanks uh, to, to, to Jesse for this. So here we go. The cybersecurity panel from Alt Expo, Liberty Forum 2014. You guys are all interested in cybersecurity? Of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, we'll just do this by, like, what, like, where do you want to improve your, you know, the security in your digital lives? Um, We'll just let you kind of lead, and then we can 
Oh, we gotta we gotta ask our question first. Oh. <laughs> Who here is from the NSA? <laughs> <laughs> we can do that. A special, a special welcome to our friends from the government. <laughs> Just kidding, guys. I'm not. Don't worry, our phones are doing the job for them. Yeah. yeah right? exactly. Actually, take the batteries out of your phone. On that note, are you okay with an audio recording? Uh, shut it off if you say no. No, no, go ahead. All right. I think that's a good question. It's like, what what does everybody here want to gain or learn about? Uh, maybe I should start. So, I've been meaning to start a website, but I'd like to stay anonymous. And it, it's directed to my town. The reason why I want to stay anonymous is because it's going to be... For example, you know how we have prekeen.org? They wanted, wanted to create something similar, right? And just to spread the ideas and you know, throw away a lot of bumper stickers, you know, stuff like that, just to gain locals to sort of realize that, hey, there's a problem in this town, or overall in general, like taxation, that kind of stuff. And But I don't want to be, because I'm pretty much a minority in that town, uh, let alone in New Hampshire, right? I don't want to bring heat upon me because, you know, I have to pay taxes there, and obviously I don't want to be discriminated and all that stuff. So, and I don't have a good track record with the local government anyways, so I'm just trying to lay low. How do I, like, I want to have a fake name, a fake email address. Right, so, you really, yeah, I, well, okay. I don't want my name on my website. I want to pay, like, an anonymously. I don't yeah. want to, and I, I feel like, you know, Bitcoin can help me there. So, presumably, you don't want, like, a Tor hidden service. You want a public website where someone can go to whatever.com and... Yes. Right, something any non-tech person can right. look at. So, then the issue is really just keeping yourself anonymous during the process of setting up that website. Um, and after. Right, right, and, and after. Yeah. Um, to for whenever you have to service the website and so forth. So, I mean, the... The way to do that would be to use an anonymity network like Tor. So any time that you uh, that that you're setting up, say that you're registering the domain or registering hosting or logging into hosting, you want to be doing that over an anonymity network. And obviously, you don't want to give any personally identifiable information. So what you could do is you could connect to Tor. Um, Namecheap is an excellent registrar who now accepts Bitcoin. So if you pay Bitcoin, Namecheap. Namecheap.com. Um, they accept Bitcoin, so you could register your domain name, pay in Bitcoin. You don't have to give your name, or you can give a fake name. Um, Even if you probably just got a prepaid credit card. Right. If you don't want to use Bitcoin, then you could. Yeah, you could buy use, something uh, from CVS or something. The problem with the prepaid Visa cards is, as of a couple of years ago, they require social security numbers uh, to activate them, so you can have someone else do it for you, or you can. There, there are ways around it. I actually had this problem where I wanted to activate a Visa check card that I didn't want associated with my identity, um, and there are ways that you can get it activated. They can, like, the, a rep get a rep to activate it over the phone for you. Uh, requires some social engineering, and they're not really supposed to do it, so it's kind of a pain in the ass. But it's possible. Actually, I, th I don't know if it's names to you, but there's maybe another website, and I have it written down in my office. Um, People are actually now accepting any kind of gift card. So if you have a Walmart gift card, you can actually register your domain and pay for your uh, whatnot. And <laughs> as far as Tor goes, Tor has been compromised many times. Uh, and you can't change the fact that state, the DHAs or whoever, paid millions of dollars for its development. So CIA uses well, it or whoever uses Tor, it. Tor's, I mean, Tor is an open protocol and development, although it was originally funded by DARPA and the Navy, it's not run by them anymore. It's run by an independent organization, and the code is all open source, so everyone yeah. can audit it and make sure that they're hidden in there. Like just using some public Wi-Fi somewhere with a laptop. <coughs> Tor is not yeah. without its flaws, but I would I don't think it's correct to say it's been compromised. Rather, what's happened, uh, especially when, like, recently, you might remember um, Tor Mail being taken down and Liberty Hosting and all the companies that they had. Um, what happened there is that... Um, there was a, an exploit. So, the, so first they took down the Liberty Hosting guy, and then there was an Freedom Hosting. Sorry, yeah, Freedom Hosting. And then uh, there was an exploit, a vulnerability in um, the version of Firefox that was being distributed with the Tor browser bundle. Um, it had already been patched in Firefox, but 
they use the long-term support version of Firefox. They don't have to update it as often. It hadn't gotten that patch. That was one problem. So I think that uh, they just... I don't think that the, the government um, engineered that vulnerability. Rather, I think that they took advantage of it while they still could. They jumped on it when they, when they saw that they weren't going to have another chance to. And by doing that, they were able to identify a lot of people who visited freedom hosting sites um, over Tor. But in, well, gener in general, I mean, at, at its basic level, I, I wouldn't say that Tor has been compromised. It's like still, still considered secure. Yeah, I think it's important to keep in mind with Tor, because this is something a lot of people bring up, is how it was funded by DARPA, or the U.S. Navy dollars went to it. Uh, you know, government money went to every web service in the world. Uh, I mean, there's, there's not a one that it doesn't go to. So it's far more important, at least for me, as to who's behind, who's running the company that's involved, okay? Like, you wouldn't want to trust Google because Larry Page isn't a libertarian at all. Mm -hmm. You can ask Declan McCullough, the guy's had him in his house, and he'll tell you, you know, this guy's not a libertarian. It's where you take Tor, and you see you know, one of your main guys there is Jacob Applebaum, who's a straight-up anarchist. You know, which company do you, you know, who, who do you want to trust? What you're using, and... That's one of the tour is one of the few things where you have genuine anarchists, you know, involved with production. So, to look at it to, from a monetary aspect, there's nothing you can use that doesn't have some kind of government funding somewhere down the line. So that, that's just, an, I mean, it, it's a great point to bring up, but it's important to, to keep that. In and I mean, when they developed it, they developed it for their own use to keep their own communications anonymous. Right. So they, they certainly didn't want there to be a vulnerability when they were then users. Right. That's, I mean, that's the part of it. That, you know. So that it does work. It just recently I've seen, a, and not that I trust news, any news for that matter, but RT ran a small, you know, section on it and said that, this, and actually there was a guy on the RT which was from Holland and who uh, basically had broken into the network, whatever the terms, the technical terms are. I'm not an IT guy, but uh, and able to, you know, retrieve personal emails. You know, not necessarily. Right, not necessarily yeah. identify who was the e you know people who were emailing or where it came from, but actually able to retrieve some data that right. was being transferred. So that there is the concern that a large portion, something like thirty percent of exit nodes, the nodes that actually send your unencrypted request out into the internet, um, are located in Virginia and probably owned by the feds. And it's possible if you use the same Tor route repeatedly, if you don't click the like get a new identity button in Medallia, it's possible that they're theoretically possible that there are statistical attacks that over a while they can start to um, put together the beginning who's at the beginning of that route, who's at the end of it. But if you change identities often, then even that theoretical vulnerability won't, won't exist. So you also yeah. have to think about who are you trying to protect yourself from. I mean. Are you trying to protect yourself from the government or from people in your town figuring out who runs this website? Right. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Even right. a simple What's the VPN threat? Yeah. that gets yeah. them out of the town. Right. You, have, you have to think about what your threat is. Right. If you don't have to hide yourself from you know, the NSA's most wanted list, then right. uh, just having a, a simple VPN service. Like if, if, you, I can like make if, a if it's just like the local people of your town and it's not like a government organization, you can just pay to keep the date from your DNS provider to keep the, your information private. And they won't know, so like, yeah. you don't need to go to an right. Like, so, the, but even like, if you're worried about them subpoenaing GoDaddy or whoever your registrar is, yeah. I mean, you can still, if you use a VPN, um, you'll pay what like uh, a few bucks a month for right. it, and it'll, um, it, I mean, it'll keep you anonymous, and they won't. Uh, now, is the Tor a VPN as well, or is it just a bundle? Sort of. Well, t t Tor uses uh, onion routing, so you're rather than going through being re your communications being relayed through one VPN, um, you're actually being relayed through many different nodes uh, until you eventually exit that. Yeah, so that think node. about it this way: with the VPN, if the VPN service keeps logs, somebody with you know authority to request the information could get the information about where whose traffic belonged to what. But with Tor, hypothetically, because of the way it's designed, that can that can't be tracked even by anybody who knows the whole network. Well if you, the, if you knew the whole network, if you knew a very large portion of it you could. But yeah. just having access to a few nodes or even a large portion of the exit nodes would not be sufficient. So just if I can add a quick just a quick comment too. Um, it's a fallacy to think of privacy in, in terms of, of being perfect. Mm -hmm. So in the world of security, usually 
what I do, I encourage people to think in terms of risk. And you, what, we, what we do is we manage risk. You never get rid of it. It's not possible. So what we do, uh, we, we try to take a risk management approach uh, to, to, the, to the problem. And what you do, you, you, you determine the solution based on the cost. So you could build a, a perfect computer that may work for $10 million, but it's unfeasible because you can't sell it. Uh, so, uh, you know, you have to think of it, of it in, in terms of risk management. Right. So identify your threat model first and then figure out what you have to do to, to stay safe with, yeah. from those particular threats. I also want to mention that uh, if you're pretty tech savvy, you might also want to check out IA2P, the Invisible Internet Project, um, which is has some of the same use cases as Tor, but whereas Tor was originally developed for anonymous web browsing uh, and then hidden services like Silk Road were an afterthought, uh, I2P was developed from the ground up for hidden services and anonymous web browsing is provided as a hidden service by certain certain services. So it offers it, additional protection against leaking uh, data and, and it, it's, things it, like that. The, I mean, the main benefit, as far as I'm concerned, is certainly it's not as easy to use right now, and that's, it doesn't have anything simple like the Tor browser bundle. You really you need to be kind of tech-savvy to set it up, and that's why I said that. But the advantage <laughs> is that it's scalable in Tor. Most nodes are not relays, so there are tons and tons of users, and most of them are not relays, and as it grows, that's going to become a big scalability problem. Um, whereas with I2P, every node is a relay, and that's that's one advantage. Um, and that you were saying before people uh, are compromised with Tor, there are a lot of uh, pitfalls that you need to be aware of. For example, um, Tor only encrypts, it, 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 sorry, it only hides uh, your source location, right? Somebody watching um, where your request ends up can't see where it started and vice versa, but it doesn't hide the content of that request. So if the content of your communication contains some personally identifiable information, then... Phone number, address, name... Well, there, there, well there's that, certainly that sort of thing. In addition, like in addition... location is enabled on your browser, and they, and they ask for that. There's, so a problem with, there's a problem with BitTorrent, right? There's no, if, don't use BitTorrent over Tor, even oh, though it'll be really slow. Yeah. Uh, don't do it anyway, because it'll... Most clients will include your IP address in some of the packets that they send <laughs> over BitTorrent, and therefore it's for plain for everyone to see. Hmm? It's for performance reasons, BitTorrent. That that includes your IP address for better discovery, yeah, yeah. something like that. But what's up, Mateus? Uh, just kind of to circle back to Goshi's original kind of concern. Um, can you speak a little bit more? I know that there's a a group that I sometimes use called RiseUp, and they have secure email hosting as well as VPN hosting, and it's for free. Do you know anything about that? Have you heard of this group? Or yeah, I, I use RiseUp. Okay. Um, one thing is, don't mention capitalism. <laughs> if, if you use them, and I mean that's fine. I'm not a fan of the word myself. But, sure. Yeah, they're, uh, they're left anarchist group. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're they're really good. Uh, there are debates as to because they have had their servers seized by the FBI uh, a few years ago. They are trying to do uh, Leapfrog. I think is is one of their newer uh, email protocols that they're trying to set up, which is a pretty good system. Uh, you know, it, it's it's worth it's worth using in my opinion, uh, but like uh, like was mentioned, you know, this idea of perfect security right. doesn't exist. Uh, as far as a lot of people think that that it's a more of a danger, this is important to bring up. Using RiseUp is more of a danger because everybody that uh, you know that uses it is essentially it's meant for activists, and so what the FBI, whoever seized RiseUp's networks, uh, you know, and servers, would essentially have a, you know a laundry list of activists around the world, or at least in the United States. And that's a problem, too, that they're based out of the United States. That's where I think most people recommend use something that's right. elsewhere. Like, right. if you're using a VPN service, use, like, ProXPN that's, like, based in Thailand. I used to I use some private internet right. access, but I, right. for the same reason, I, after the Snowden revelations, I took that as the last straw because they're based in the U.S., even though they make some very good privacy guarantees, they don't keep logs and so right. forth. Um, I do, the fact that they may be susceptible to the same... Types of uh, national security Lobbit. coercion right. that Lobbit yep. was um, made me wary, so I switched to um, Bola VPN, which is based in Malaysia. Sure. Yeah. So, so with Rise Up, the, the with that concern in mind that you're going to have a laundry list of activists, that's actually more of, of a case for everybody should be using it because then it's not just the activists. Exactly. Right. And so if everybody jumps on it, everybody starts using their VPNs. And they, have, they, have, they only have two VPN services right now in Seattle, New York City. Right. Um, 
but you know, again, the more the, the more people donate, the more they can do. Uh, so really, it's not a case to not use it. It's the exact opposite. It's right. a case to well, it's many. Same it's kind of like tragedy of the commons. Exactly, it's, it's only a case to use it if everyone else does too. Right, right. But you know, the more and, and it's something where you have to have two. You have to know two people that have rise up to be able to. You have to get invited. Well, no, but it. if you you can send them a message and a request and like you can do that. that. Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so I've as soon as are you done? Yeah, please. I've, so I, I've done a little bit of thought experiments around um, privacy and wanting to be anonymous and. So I want to throw a, uh, a concept out, and, and I'm going to also ask my esteemed panel members here whether they, they support the fact that this is truly a good way to attain an anonymity. Um, so if you use something like the Tor browser bundle, and you use Tor, and if you're in a public library, and so you're not coming from your home IP address, and if you also then are paranoid enough to actually um, use a Linux distribution where you can scramble your machine address code before you connect to their Wi-Fi, then hypothetically, if three days from now, someone says, okay, this guy was in the library. moving a Mac address? Yeah, yeah. And so if someone says, three days ago, this guy here was in the library, even if they went to the library and checked the logs on the router, they're not going to see anything that could be traced back to you, right? So security camera. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, go to a coffee shop. Uh, yeah. but Sit in the corner. This is, it <laughs> yeah, seems, I mean, I there's no doubt that the, like, the world is moving in a direction where privacy and anonymity are going to become harder and harder and harder. But right now, it seems like it's still possible to do it. So, what do you guys have to say about that? Well, with, when you connect to public Wi-Fi, it also gets the name on your Computer, right? Like with the Ross Ulbricht uh, indictment, I guess that's that, that's one of the links that they had is when he connected, it got the name on that he put the frosty name. Well, with, with public Wi-Fi, you have the concern of like when you log into McDonald's, uh, you get a cookie, you know, that essentially because you have to, you can't just log on and then go on the internet. You have to go to a website that they mm-hmm. did the same thing in the hotel, uh, and that generally gets some degree of identifying information. Like with a VPN, you can't actually. Uh, you have to connect first to to the you know to the hotel Wi-Fi, and then you can you know initiate your VPN. Otherwise, it won't connect because VPN is not connecting. You know, there's no network for it to connect to. Uh, so, I guess my my thought on that is maybe <laughs> that, that, that's really that's really the best the best I can say. Transmit a lot of data. Um, too, I think I think in addition, if depending, uh, so again, you know, as Forget uh, that gentleman's name, um, but he who said uh, that you should identify your threat vectors first, figure out your risk model. But for for the what's your name? Virgil. Virgil. Okay. Uh, so for the for the highest level of security that I I might uh, potentially ever need, I would probably buy a new computer or at the very yeah. least reboot into a Tails operating system, um, which for those who don't know is a Linux distribution uh, bootable from a CD. I think it's W-based, yeah, which uh, which has a lot a lot of uh, anonymity features built in. Uh, it's pre-configured to route all your data through Tor and um, not to use store things in swap space on your hard drive and so forth. You can run it off a live USB stick. Well, that's yeah, or Tails or will not. You can do a, you can do a CD too. Or, or CD, you can do that. Live whatever. Tails won't actually save any state, so the next time you boot it, it'll be in the same state as the first time. So even right. if you've got a cookie, it's not going to be able to track that. Right, right. Same uh, Well, Rich, did you want to say something? Something about that is, you know, the company I work for does network monitoring software, and it's amazing what is just out there in plain text. Who, who, who I mean, do you work for? I'm not going to tell you. you tell? Okay. <laughs> uh, it's just, it, it's amazing what's out there and what the government uses, so I think you have to figure out What's, I mean, sometimes you can choose one or the other. Like, you can have your path be secret, but not your content. Or sometimes you can make your content very secure. And, yeah, they know we're talking, but they have no idea what we're talking about. Um, sometimes there's lots of trade-offs you can make. I mean, there's some protocols where you can only know the beginning and end and nothing in the middle. Um, so I guess you just have to figure out what your... It's a cost-benefit. I mean, if they said most encryption is based on how long it's going to take to decrypt it. It's nothing that's such a thing as perfect. Um, and for our own security, you know, yeah, they know we're activists, they know we're friends, so they obviously know we're talking, so that, that, that cat's out of the bag. The only thing we can really protect is the content. 
of what we're talking about. The fact that we actually communicate is probably almost impossible unless you've literally just this anonymous address somewhere and this anonymous address somewhere else. So I think you have to, people have to realize that there's a lot of data out there already, mm. and a lot of it's very easy to get, mm. um, and there's nothing you can do about it. So you have to figure out where where you can get some security. And I think for most people, it's, it's, it's content, not... Um, not the fact that there is a communication. I think making any communication, the fact that that's a secret's very hard. Yeah, so it, it goes back to content. cryptography, which is our savior, more or less. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the last resort we have. Uh, ultimately, that's. I don't. That's. I think that's the only answer we can. Or using anyone. low technology, like getting. Together. Or out of band, out of band, yeah, writing yeah, pieces yeah. of paper and burning them. I mean, that's sure. Isn't that the point of steganography that you can actually? not give away the fact that you're communicating in an encrypted way, but still be giving the encrypted message that's out there. Yep. It's hiding the fact that you're communicating. Security by obscurity. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, well, go ahead. Yeah, I had a question. Um, a lot of, I, you know, I, I see whether it's Tor, you know, and you're being asked to run an exit node, or various like mesh networking technologies, whether it's, you know, Open Garden or something more on the Wi-Fi side or whatever, like, isn't that a very dangerous position to put yourself in to be the gateway for the shit other people want to do? So you're talking about being a, like a tour exit node? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or even just a node in a mesh, net, you know, just the internet connection in a mesh network being, like if you put Open Garden on your phone and everyone's accessing the internet through your account with your name on it. Then you're not only not hiding what you do, you're like being the but it's dumpster not, but it's for not, everyone. But I mean, you have like plausible deniability that it's. Is that enough though? I mean, it's un, it's untested yeah. is the answer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's never yeah. been a case of that being used against somebody, but it's certainly theoretically possible. I mean, if somebody is looking at child pornography and it looks like it's going through your connection, yeah. they're probably going to knock down your door first and ask questions later. Yeah, I yeah. think there um, has been a case though where somebody yeah. has gotten yeah. in trouble for yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. But it is an interesting. There are entire towns now doing this, where they're they're just making it pretty much you know not a, not a law, but uh, they want to, they want all their you you know, no passwords on their Wi-Fi. Uh, that way, yeah, plausible deniability. You know. Mm -hmm. So, but but I do think there have been cases where leaving you know someone using your internet did you, get uh, you're still responsible. Yeah, well, well, you're not responsible. Uh, and and w there was one interesting one where. Uh, somebody had an open network connection and the neighbor was upset at him and whoever this guy was he wasn't very technologically savvy the next thing he knows he gets a knock from the secret service claiming that he had threatened the president <laughs> well as it turned out they they did actually i mean it caused him some trouble but they did actually say okay we actually have to prove that it was you we have to prove the crime and they did investigate it they found out it was the neighbor and the neighbor got in trouble Okay. I yeah, would just assume just not be investigated. <laughs> <laughs> that's after they come in and steal no. your computer <laughs> yeah, and for yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, But that's about, so, but that's about what they can say. Like, was don't not his wife was like you're putting off. yourself. Oh yeah, I mean it was yeah. when you do the, have an open Wi-Fi password when you do this exit node. Yeah. Like that's a risk you are taking. How about a relay node? Any anybody think any thoughts on security risks of actually being a tour relay? Uh, There's um, a benefit to it, which is, yeah. is that if you have a relay node, then your traffic can go out from within the network without somebody seeing it coming into the network. Right. Um, uh, that's nice. Sure. Are there security risks that we open? We would open ourselves up to by running as a relay yeah, or an exit yeah, node. Not not the legal thing. side, but the the security side of it. Yeah, Cybersecurity. Yeah, yeah. So, like, if there if there's a flaw in the in the protocol itself, and they can if they can go through the network and you're not separated between the two, yeah. if, if it's on your local network, then there could, yeah, you would be stuff up to that. It's becoming popular. There's what they call flash proxy badges for browsers that essentially work like relay nodes, not not like a full-on relay node, but it certainly helps build the Tor network. Huh. Um, and those are being designed, I think there's a guy at MIT who's doing it. One, the one for Chrome is called Cupcake. The one for Firefox is the Tor Flash Proxy Badge. And huh. as far as I know, because of their license, nothing can happen. But yeah, running a, running a relay node in general could open you up to some problems, sure. I think you can actually run a relay node right on the router, too. Yeah. Flash yeah, you can, you can yeah, separate. You can. Yeah. 
but it, it does publish your IP address, so then uh, and it would open you up to more scrutiny. Sure. Mm -hmm. huh. We talked a little bit earlier about running bootable uh, Tails distro whenever you're doing anonymous stuff. Is there is there a reason not to make like another like a sec like a partition of either a second or third one and run Liberté over that and just use that for your anonymous needs, or is there a reason to have to go into Tails like every time? That can be kind of annoying if you can if you can get a distro for Linux Liberté. On well, my concern with Tails is that. It's a it's a pretty high um, profile tool, yeah. And I don't know that you can ever guarantee that, like, if you download something, that you're downloading what you think you're downloading. Well, I guess you're MD5. The most you can get the MD5 checks, but how do you know that what you're that, seeing the is the right MD5? So anytime you're going out to point. talk to somebody, you're vulnerable to a man in the middle attack. Those MD5 should be signed by. Yeah. Right. And then you check that. Right. right. Yeah. But still, if there if there's a man in the middle, they can give you the wrong key. That's right. So, but, um, but just to get back to your question, your question, right? I can't remember who asked the question. Um, question. I, you can get, you can get a lot of the same kind of protection you get from Tails by making um, a your own, creating a partition and installing Linux in it and putting a Tor browser bundle right there. An encrypted partition. If you want to be paranoid, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really easy to, 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 yeah. to break it. It's not encrypted. Yeah. Or you can use TrueCrypt and you can have a hidden operating system. Yeah, sure. I mean, Liberté is pretty, like, that's pretty specific for what that's for. That's for communicating, not so much as to where Tails allows you a little more of a full suite okay, you know, to, to do a bunch of things. So Liberté is, is actually, I think it's, it's decently more secure than Tails is, but it's a, it's a one-trick pony. In my opinion, to want to do more with it is kind of like if you use OpenBSD and then you start putting a bunch of stuff into it. Right. It's a little more secure because up. of what it doesn't do. Exactly. Right? I mean, you got it. Yeah. I, also, I think uh, for the highest level of security, I'd want something that's not stateful, even though it's somewhat inconvenient. Mm -hmm. when, if, if somebody if it does compromise you in some way, you don't want that to carry over to your next session. I see. You could do that with um, Puppy Linux. So I, I uh, a little while ago, I TSA-proofed my laptop, as I called it. Um, <laughs> we were talking about a hidden operating system. So uh, what I did is I created a large partition, a, a Lux encrypted partition, and used LVM to separate it into the various partitions I need, including swap space and everything right in there, everything except for my slash boot, my boot partition, which can't be encrypted, because otherwise you can't boot. Um, and then I have another. There's a trick to that too. Yeah, you can. Your BIOS uses encryption. Well, it wouldn't be BIOS. Well, you can do stuff within it. Okay. That's to, to. But I mean, you have to. To boot to a separate. To boot. But, but it, it is encrypted. I mean. There's some tricks. In, in RAMFS, use is is loads from your slash boot, so you need to load it separately anyway. You, right. So you have like a double boot. Okay. Okay. Well, anyway, and then I. Uh, <laughs> so I. Um, have a, uh, a small, uh, so I, I installed the, the bootloader for that onto a USB drive, and then I installed Windows at the, uh, and a little small partition at the end of my drive, so if anyone boots up my computer without putting in that USB stick and specifically telling it to boot from that USB stick, it's going to just boot straight into Windows. If PSA tries to turn on my laptop right. and boot straight into Windows, they'll never know unless <laughs> they're someone more tech savvy that I have a hidden encrypted Linux partition. You, you can also do that at the EFI layer now. Because right, really, without yeah, that's right. What do you mean now? Well, before it used to be BIOS, which controlled that, and EFI gives you like even script here and there in, okay. in what used to be called BIOS, which is mm -hmm. it's not anymore. <laughs> so we were talking about communication security. What about you know our, our in-house, our, our on our you know our devices we're carrying around? What kind of security recommendations uh, do you make? Because like I said, we might not be talking to anybody, but you know. You get, you, get, you get mugged or arrested, all of a sudden everything's searchable. Um, so, like, like one of the like top things you can do is if you have an Android phone, is to not use the default yeah. thing that they ship with it because they can update. The FBI can go to your provider, they can go to Verizon or T-Mobile, wherever you bought your phone from, and update your phone without you knowing about it. But if you put something like Paranoid Android or Cyanogen Mod on it, you're not even it, because it's not that default. It, it takes those keys that they can update that from. You're protected from that. 
What do people know about red flag? I I like it. I use it. Yeah. You too. <laughs> it's made by the same folks that do Tech Secure, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Whisper Systems. I was having some trouble with it the first time I tried it, but it's been the nine quality of phone so. calls has gotten a lot better. And it, the great thing is that it all goes through your data connection, also, so it doesn't, doesn't even use the the radio in your phone. It's all encrypted and uh, goes through three G or four G. Any uh, recommendations or alternatives for like full disk en disk encryption with Linux? I mean, you talked about it a little, but you also do Ubuntu now. Yeah, it's, it's, when you install like, Ubuntu, <laughs> it asks you if you want to do it, and you just say yes. And yeah, it's it it beautiful. <laughs> not not yeah, for every install. Like you're installing it side by side. If, if you're, oh yeah, it, yeah. It, unless you're letting it take over the entire drive and put whatever partitions it wants, I don't think it gives you that option in the default installer. How That's about not, for you Debian? can still do it though. Right. You can still do it. Yeah, like you can do it for Debian. I, I think it's actually it's built, built into the like Debian installer. Just don't click the button. I think it actually is built into it the Debian installer now too. Yeah. <coughs> okay. Um, and what is that using? The, that uh, it, it, it's using Lux, but I, I think it's using uh, AES two fifty six, probably in CBC mode. Okay. I think it's the disks program or application in Debian. I think that's what it's called. It, it builds in. Like if you want to manage the, the I'm not sure. I just use Lux. If you, okay. If you wanted to act like, say, you you could use. I haven't used Lux, so I'm not familiar with it. But so, say you had a problem and it wouldn't boot, you could then access it offline. It's easy if you had the key. Oh, I just heard you do that. All of this is offline, but yeah, you could. Well, yeah. well, what you mean, I mean? You mean you could put it in another computer? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah sure. Yeah. You could. It's not like you just. The difference is just that, whereas uh, if you, by, by default, um, in the init RAM FS during boot, it'll ask for the password and decrypt it yourself, you would just have to do that manually on the volume if it's uh, not your, your boot volume. Speaking of encryption, is AES-256 still secure? I, I, I don't know if that was compromised or if I was reading if that was RSA or something. But yeah, like anything RSA is suspect. Okay. Like they sold out. Like, oh, well. like anything says RSA, it's, just it, it's only suspect up. because they've, the foundation has taken money from uh, certain untrustworthy government agencies. I see. That's why um, you boycott boy the RSA. <laughs> but yeah. that, I mean, I mean, it's better than nothing. But Rivas and Shamir are probably as people are probably still trustworthy. I mean, they still do great work. So, uh, are there different encryption standards that we should be using instead of RSA? I mean, no, Bitcoin doesn't. But I mean. How does Linux by default encrypt the AES? I mean, like, I, as far it as depends on that. Depends on you know, what you're what you're doing, but I mean, like, if you're uh, setting up a key for like a public uh, private key pair for uh, on SSH um, using uh, OpenSSL or something, then you'll uh, by de by default I think it uses RSA, but you can switch it to DSA. Okay. And do you know what encryption is used for uh, PGP? Like like on uh, on Thunderbird through the Enigma, it, um, it depends I, on what what you set here. I mean, same. I think it'll use the OpenSSL um, keyring. So okay. I, mm -hmm. same same as I just said. I think by default it'll use RSA, and you can switch it to DSA if you want. Cool. Do people uh, involved in encryption ever come under scrutiny for for being involved in encryption? <coughs> Jacob Applebaum oh, has certainly. <laughs> there are certainly people who made it onto government lists. I mean, there's the I'm on uh, several mailing lists like Liberation Tech and the Cypherpunks lists, and a lot most people on those lists um, use proxies and choose to, to remain anonymous rather than giving email addresses that are personally identifiable because it, it, it's probable that it'll make you a target. But just to be explicit, I, I don't. Think that uh, AES two fifty six specifically um, is vulnerable to any known attacks. Cool. And so I, I, I'm kind of a conspiracy theorist, and um, and so I'm going to give you guys my my conspiracy theory du jour. Has anybody ever heard of the Panopticon? So the Panopticon is this concept that was created by Jeremy Bentham of the perfect prison, mm -hmm. and what it is is there's a there's a tower in the middle of the prison, and all the prisoners are in a, in a circular thing around it. And so they can't see when they're being watched, but they know that they can be watched at any time. And so the ultimate black hat thinking is that the whole Snowden thing 
was not a whistleblower. It was actually a controlled release of information. Because if you make the perfect prison, it doesn't do any good unless everybody knows they're living in a prison. And so, <laughs> just think about that for a second. I mean, if, if the, if, let's say for some reason, um, and we don't know how this is done, but, you know, AES and all these different kinds of encryptions are essentially broken now. It wouldn't do any good for them to, okay, we've broken the encryption, we can see everything, but now everybody needs to know they're being watched. Or and they didn't break everything and they're just lying to you. Or it's a bluff. It seem worse than it is. Because, yeah. because perception <laughs> creates reality. Yeah. And if every company in the country thinks that they've already broken everything, we just better cooperate with them, then they get the same yeah. as our... Yeah, why bother? They're going to so, get it anyway. You know? <laughs> so the, the only reason I'm bringing this up is, is that I think that um, it's, it's prudent, if you're interested in these topics, to, to engage in worst-case scenario thinking. If you're an activist, and I'm, I'm not much of an activist, I guess I'm interested in these technologies, but um, my activism is more in a different realm. Um, but if, if you, if you want to know what's the worst thing that can happen, then assume the worst, which is that none of these types of encryption actually work anymore. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's true, but I do know that <coughs> If you follow that thought experiment and say, well, how could I communicate with somebody if I needed to, knowing that I'm being listened to, there may be a way to do that. One-time pads. <coughs> one-time pads? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that that is a form of encryption. Huh? They can't break the one-time pad. They can't break the one-time pad. Then you pad. have to have a secure Big free exchange. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or, or think about using um, PGP. PGP might be great. It might be um, uncracked, but if somebody comes into your house and takes your computer... And you don't have everything locked down, then forget it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Hopefully, you're still using full disk encryption. Yeah. Okay. So, <coughs> you actually turned off your computer. What was yeah. it? Naomi will said about them, just like when they're cleaning your room in China, <laughs> like grabbing you. Oh, did did you any of you hear that? Oh yeah, yeah. She was saying that it's like well known. Anyone who like goes to a hotel in China, that the cleaning lady's gonna like duplicate your. Uh, Oh you know, plug in and you like, hard drive. yeah, dupe your hard drive for the nice. government. Nice. <laughs> They're really into clean there, huh? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, you know, I, that actually that brings up a good point. Uh, a couple of them. One of them is that you know, like with with Russ Albrecht, he could have you know how, how they got into you know mm. whatever he was doing. That could have been done with you know someone just slapping a little camera. Sure. Uh, and and it has you know and, and you know cameras, 150 year old technology. Nothing can, you know, no encryption can stop that. Uh, that you know, they, they see him type in his password, bingo, whatever, however yeah. that all works out. Uh, and and I'm intrigued by the idea of, you know, the, the full thought experiment going all the way. What's the possible worst thing? I mean, one of the one of the funny ones you can do is on Snopes. Uh, you'll f you can look up uh, mosquito drones, <laughs> which are which are drones literally the size of mosquitoes with cameras on them. And the problem is, is that Snopes says we can't disprove that. That, that exists, and so you know, I mean, that that's going again, full, you know, going all the way. These are things to think about, sure. but yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And, it, and that like, brings it also up. been like with with the saying that with the like even GPG, when you unlock your key, you, they can listen to the capacitors inside your computer and crack your. Right. They, they said they so why there's that, different right. why there's different parts of the machine running to kind of mask the noise. Isn't there, there were, there was like built in deliberately the other parts of the computer would actually activate during the key generation process? There so were some side channel attacks that were found, but I think those those were fixed so that it'll uh, require the same amount of energy, um, same amount of time uh, yeah. for each operation, regardless of whether or not you have the right key. Don't you have to be on site then to correct that? Yeah. So. Well, or just turn on the cell phone and listen to when they encrypt their key. Or, I mean, if there's a speaker in the motherboard, you can reverse that and make it a microphone. <laughs> so actually, one thing, because people keep talking about uh, outside forces activating, you know, your microphone, your camera on your laptop or tablet or handheld, like, is there any, is there any technology or apps out there that, that, that help prevent stuff like that from happening? A piece of tape over yeah, a piece the of camera? Tape. <laughs> okay, but they, doesn't I, the I know there's an app, I know there's an app for Android, yeah, I'm not sure. Scissors. Apple or not. <laughs> I know there's an app for Android, the guy that's speaking here. Uh, as the CEO of this company, Snoopball, and I tried the app once, I don't use it anymore, but it would get, um, 
master administrator access for your phone and it would prevent apps from opening ports when they weren't supposed to. Hmm. So if like you were just walking around and it's like Gmail wants to utilize your microphone and be like, no, like why are you, you know, because it would just access your microphone, your yeah. your web. Um, so yeah, you're right. The idea behind that maps, is that it'll, all, the per, all the permissions that you give an app when you install yeah. it, right. well, it'll ask you every single time the app wants that permission whether or not you want to allow it that right. time. Right. So it, it, what was the name of that tool? It's useful. Uh, it's called yeah. Snoopball. Snoopwall. Snoopwall. Yeah. That's that's cool, but I don't think it will bypass what you're talking about because I'm sure. I mean, the I've even seen things like you know um, infrared ports getting turned on remotely and and stuff. Even when even after you lock them down, you yeah, you've locked them down. Right. Uh, I've seen demonstrations of it. And it's like, is there something? I mean, some of it may just be inherent that's in the firmware. Then that's just how they're yeah, designed the, now. The government actually has a program now that, and it's come out where they. Redirect. Yeah. You, you order a laptop from Dell. It gets redirected to Virginia. Yeah. They they change the form, they change the chips to have a backdoor inside the hardware and then ship it back to you. Oh, I want one of those. <laughs> yeah, I think you know this is a becoming a popular thing like Black Phone and uh, the Quasar Four right. phones, where they're you know they're they're secure phones that are designed to to you know be they're actually like stated as anti NSA. Thing is, is that as soon as someone puts Facebook Messenger on one of those phones, <laughs> it's over. You know, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't matter anymore yeah. because Facebook Messenger says no. I want access to your microphone. I want this. And as far as I know, and I'll look into that Snoopball. It's interesting. Uh, you know, as soon as you can't just like block those permissions, you right. have to actually create an app that would tell it, okay, you actually have that permission, but you really don't. But then that's going to keep changing. It, it it it's a it seems like a never-ending battle, and really the only, in my opinion, the only thing I've seen so far that you can really say is a, is a secure communication from a phone would be, like, tech secure. Yeah. Uh, singularly. Like, that, that, that's really about it. Um, you know, I mean, you have the problem with phones. Phones are just the most unsecure things on the planet. I mean, they run on ARM, and ARM's firmware is designed to accept every single piece of communication possible, you know, <laughs> whatever comes at it. And so, and, and that's, that's by design. Uh, so you know, right, right there, you know, you have a huge security hole just from just from the firmware alone. Yeah. Uh, so you know, but but yeah, it, it's a good question to answer. Yeah. What's, so, uh, what's known about cloning phones? Like I heard, a, I heard a news story that it was in Michigan, maybe a year or two ago. They were um, at traffic stops. They were taking people's phones and doing something and handing it back to them. Maybe yeah. they were cloning them. Mm. Yeah. Well, there is, you know, that TV show, uh, Person of Interest, you ever see it? It's yeah, like, yeah. Mm -hmm. I know what you're talking about. It's like, well, they, they, all the time they walk by stuff, and they clone, they clone their phone and... Remotely, wirelessly. Yeah. yeah. And I know it's possible. That used to be popular, like, with trunking systems, but, yeah. and, uh, like, you, if you have the right equipment, you can still do that with any, like, GSM phone, um... So, I mean, it is possible that, that you have a GSM phone. I know someone got arrested as a result of it. But. Hmm. How could you transmit that much data like that? Well, no, it, it's it, not it's, it's not the data on the phone, right? It's just the your like, identity. Listen. It's yeah. like a copy oh, of the gotcha. SIM card, right? Gotcha. Yeah, you get essentially. The Fine. Yeah, you, you listen to the network protocol and then. Yep. Yep. How many people here have their phones under their own name? Yeah. Mm hmm. <laughs> Walmart. Wait, you had a question? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't solve the mobile issues, but I'm thinking about is there is there applicability or validity in going back to old tech and that maybe can't run the latest releases of various operating systems, but loading something like Tiny Linux on it or something that can run on super old tech that maybe doesn't have modifications that allow that allow for backdoors and. I have no idea. But, like, what are you what are you gonna do with the hardware? Like, it's slow and. Well, I mean, if it's if it's, it's specifically for no, I'm, I'm not even thinking mobile, but I mean, I'm specifically thinking for communications purposes for getting uh, messages across in a low tech fashion. I mean, I'm thinking about even one of the things that worked for some of the uh, uprisings in the Middle East was going back to dial up modems to getting the word out and connecting out that they were not. They were reverting to old tech, there's and like so a bit message for that. Now. Yeah, and so I'm wondering if there's mm. maybe some use in resurrecting old tech that is not susceptible to some of them. Like on hackers, when he puts it, was it hackers where he puts his stuff on some old PDP eight or PDP eleven somewhere that he 
I don't know. I mean, I'm just well, throwing it out there. Maybe it's irrelevant I, I and worthless, it, anyways. But it, well, it, it, it's an interesting idea. There, there's people who will buy like older Dells uh, that that were still like dual core, mm. and uh, and they're still pretty popular. You can get refurbished ones. Of course, one could get into the idea. Well, or are they just putting in? Uh, you know, you know, are they drilling in like they talked about with the Snowden revelations, where they're drilling in bugs? You know, whatever mm. kind that could uh, you know key loggers, you name it. Uh, I think I think a, a more interesting way to look at it is that like our our mass communication world that we live in is totally new. You know, it's not even I, I dare say it's even a decade old. I mean, not even close. And somehow we got along just fine by not being in constant communication. We got along with just fine. We're driving mm-hmm. through Oklahoma. We didn't have uh, you know we didn't have signal. You know what I mean? We were okay. And so I think actually if if people look more towards the idea of maybe communicating a little bit less. You know, because the world's, I mean, the liberty movement happened without all this. It really did. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so if, if people just kind of like said, okay, well, maybe for the, a couple like hours. Like the mass maybe. uprisings didn't happen because they didn't have that tech. Like that's what enabled, like, Twitter and whatnot. With, and being able to share those pictures of like yeah. hundreds of people, that turns into thousands of people. And those thousands of people turn into millions of people. Like, you can't do that with like, without that tech, yeah. technology. Hmm. Hmm. Well, but I mean, I guess then is that the kind of uprising you want? But, I mean, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Like that would have never happened. Yeah. Well, you had mass uprisings before that, but again, <laughs> I agree with you. Is that yeah? What but nobody looking for did anybody know about them? And one of the things for that one is that the world got to see it. Yeah. Right. If it was just a local <laughs> thing, yeah, I mean, an oppressive regime could have crushed it, and we would have found out after. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, no, I'm talking about you had actual revolutions. Oh, we had centuries. Three years ago, yeah. we had one without the internet. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, so then that's the case to have a lot of cameras, you know, around and a lot of microphones running uh, as compared to the opposite. Hmm. So mm-hmm. that's yeah. I, I guess it depends mm-hmm. on your goals. Mm-hmm. Do you guys recommend any like one or two particular books or or other like, blogs or resources if someone wants to get up to speed on on improving their security I, profile? What I I would I listen to a podcast called Security Now. Yep, plus one. It's, it's really fun. I mean, once you get started listening to it, there's like 400 episodes. You can go back and cherry pick them, and it's just like it's like candy if you have a kid. Oh yeah, it's really great, and it, it makes it. This guy who does the podcast is so intelligent. I feel like I'm smarter after listening to him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Steve Gibson, he's great. Yeah, and, and also Bruce Snyder. Yeah, I know stuff. There's another um, guy that I like a lot. Um, his name is Chris Fisher. He he does a show called the Linux Action Show, and he also <laughs> does a um, podcast called Unfilter, which is very interesting. Um, what they do is they they they're quote unfiltering the news, so they look at the mainstream media and sort of try to look at you know the hypocrisies in it and the, and the backstories behind it mm-hmm. and they they look a lot at the technology they're always they're always keeping an eye on what's going on with drones and things like that that's a really good one and, and I'm gonna give a plug for one more um, which is not really directly related but I think it's more related to you know if you're interested in this kind of stuff most likely you're interested in what's going on in the society and um, there's a great podcast called the Peace Revolution that's done by Richard Grove, who um, incidentally was uh, a 9-11 whistleblower. He was supposed to be in the World Trade Center when it got hit by the plane. He was supposed to be in a meeting that was happening right where the plane hit. And he was late, and um, everybody else in that meeting died. And uh, he kind of went on a, uh, a mission, or uh, a uh, he had a he had a, a an axe to grind, and he did this podcast for many years called the 9-11 Synchronicity Podcast. And uh, I think he got too much attention from that. And so he um, backed off, and he's doing something called the Peace Revolution, which is sort of like, you know, let's, let's stop focusing on, you know, the specifics of whatever conspiracy happened there, because we all don't want to get killed. And let's look at the things that are messed up in our society that cause that kind of thing to happen. And one of the big things is looking at lost languages and learning, the lost tools of learning, uh, looking at... Um, you know, nonviolent communication, um, things that, like, as an activist, as somebody who's digging, who's asking questions, these are tools that are going to help you to connect with people that you might otherwise alienate because this message that you might be bringing is not popular. Um, it's a, it's a fantastic 
fantastic program. And I'm listening to right now a 19-hour podcast about the assassination of John F. Kennedy. <laughs> and it's it's if if you're at all interested in this, just give yourself the gift of listening to it because it'll open some what, things. What was up. the guy's name who was running it? Richard Grove, and uh, his website is called Tragedy and Hope. And it's Peace Revolution. He's been a guest on a few other shows too, right? Yeah. He's yeah. friends with Brett, right? Yeah. Brett, yeah. yeah. Is Brett here? Yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, I'd love to meet him. Yeah. I would. Uh, I'd recommend. This is going to sound kind of weird, but I'd recommend there's a site called PrivacyIsTheEnemy.com, and it's actually. Uh, <laughs> Gary Lachance is the guy who, who he wrote. It's a 32-page book that you can get for free from that site. And it, it's interesting to look at the opposite perspective of what about not securing, what about going the exact opposite direction into total transparency. And it's just it's something to you know make sure you get both sides when, when you hear conversations like this. So that's, mm. that's something else I recommend. Well, there is a point for any sort of whistleblower that eventually if they go totally transparent, then it makes it harder to take them down. I mean, Snowden was the perfect case, mm-hmm. you know, and with that very thing. Sure. So. I mean, and, and I wish everybody could, you know, like one thing I always wanted everybody to do would be uh, like what Assange did, where he had a four-gig file that he just torrented and sent right. out. If everybody said, no, I've got a four-gig file with a bunch of, you know, a bunch of uh, secret documents, they're going to off everybody. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that's... Have you seen, have you heard what Snowden's done to... Ensure his life. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. The new BitTorrent sharing uh, program makes that a lot easier. BitTorrent Sync. Yeah. yeah. So if you know enough people that it will. The problem so with BitTorrent Sync is that it's it looks like a great tool, but they haven't released the uh, the protocol. The so thing you don't know what's going on in there. Yeah, There's still, that. Still the close. thing I'm waiting for is if they do. I mean, of course, I'd like to see the source, but the thing I'm waiting for is if they do like a backup only key, like another. So that you could a key you could give to your friends, so that they could mirror it, but not encrypt, oh, unencrypt not it, right? Yeah, not decrypt it, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah, and I mean that's the obvious. Like that, then what you can do is, you know, you can go buy, <clears throat> you know, cloud cloud space somewhere and give them all your backup keys, or give your friends all your backup keys. There is one of those like peer to peer cloud storage thing where. Your friends, like instead of mm-hmm. instead of using uh, uh, like Dropbox or something, where your data is encrypted on the cloud, but you don't control it, <laughs> it's encrypted on people, other people's hard drive that you trust. Isn't that mm-hmm. kind of what Ethereum is looking to move yeah, towards? Yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. There's another project that maybe one of you guys know about this. Um, it's a open source project called Freeland, and Freeland yeah. um, looks like a way that you can make a uh, a really nice encrypted peer-to-peer VPN. Mm-hmm. And if you had something like that, what you could do is, you know, put a, some kind of highly encrypt, heavily encrypted object in it and move it around. Mm-hmm. So how long does this go? <laughs> <laughs> I think you just answered that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's five o'clock. It's five o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you. Great job, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I, I again had a lot of fun. Um, I'm getting invited to go to all kinds of things now. Uh, again, the reason I'm doing what I hope to be is a quadruple load. It might just be a triple load, but uh, we'll we'll try and make it a quadruple load. Okay, all over the place. You know what I mean? We got to spill that seed of liberty everywhere we can, right? Um, but speaking of everywhere we can, I will be the reason though for this quadruple load is because I am going to, uh, Texas, the Texas Bitcoin conference, uh, March 5th and 6th. Of course, I'll be there for longer time frames than that. I might get to check out South by Southwest. Of course, it'd be great to have the golden stallion of the tech world, the man in triple black, you know, gracing South by Southwest was with his presence once again. So we'll see how that works out. And of course, I'll give a full report of the Texas Bitcoin conference. And I think someone, I think there is going to be recording uh, being done at the Texas Bitcoin conference. So whenever my talk from there will be available, I will make that a sovereign tech special as well. Uh, and of course, then I've got after that, boy, I'll be in New York City for an Inside Bitcoins conference. Uh, and then also there's 
Boy, uh, the Toronto, this is the one I'm really excited about, the Toronto Bitcoin Expo. I can't wait for this. Uh, I will also be I'm at either a panel or speaking there. I'm not sure, uh, but it's going to be a great time. And whatever I'm involved in, I'm going to try and share with you. So, again, I hope you enjoyed this special. Uh, and and to, to Jesse, thank you so much uh, for making this available and possible. You really did the hard work on this one. Uh, and, you know, I had the pleasure of being able to release it. So thank you so much. Uh, and thank you for listening. Carpe Lucem. I'll see you on the next episode. Remember, you're going to be getting quadruple load. Well, at least a triple load. So that means regular episode on Saturday and then another episode on Sunday. And then when I get back from Texas, you know, we'll see what we can uh, we can do then. But have fun. I know I'm going to. This has been Sovereign Tech. Visit us at SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N tech.com. There you can connect with us, see more of what you've heard on today's show, and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is open source. We encourage you to share. Later, nerds. <laughs>